0: What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest uh, Mortcast here on the CSG podcast. Um, I have taken most of this month off. Um, the last one the podcast I did was the first week of July. Uh, so I wanted to come back with a nice guest. Uh, with me today is uh, uh, a man who is the head of uh, um, basketball stuff at, <laughs> at, at, at the Mile High Sports why this is why I can't come up with titles is I, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't write business cards is basically what I am. Uh, and uh, a guy who runs the pick, pickaxe and roll podcast. Uh, you can find that on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast as you want, that you want to listen to. Uh, Andy uh, used to run Denver Stiffs um, and uh, was a uh, part of the sports Department at uh, the University of South Carolina, so it is. it's going my, all the way back here. It is my friend Ryan Blackburn. Hello, sir.
1: Hello, sir. How are you? It's good to good to hear your voice, and and I think that's like we've we've got a lot of ties now. And it's it's starting to starting to get older. Like I, I I think we first started talking back in like 2015 or so. I know I came right. on to to Denver Stiffs in 2016. So mm-hmm. really interesting. I, I know that, that it's so funny that, that you bring up Denver Stiffs because I, I've been thinking about it with some of the conversations that we've had mm-hmm. over the course of the last week or so. And uh, it is really interesting to to think back on where we were like 10 years ago and now that the Nuggets have won a championship. And it, it is cool to, to kind of go full, full circle like that because I think mm-hmm. 10 years ago we probably wouldn't have thought that this was possible
0: well uh, uh, without a shadow of a doubt andy feinstein's uh, classic line was the nuggets will never win the finals in my lifetime and uh, he said that both in private and on the record many many oh, yeah. many times and <laughs> i was more on his side and that that i think is, uh, is is interesting to look back at considering how i started writing at denver stiffs in 2009 and i think that if you look back on that and you look back to where we are now, it's kind of a long way. And speaking of coming that direction, I, I think I would like us to kind of talk about, because we talked about this on your podcast uh, last week or the week before. And I received some blowback from some uh, ornery uh, YouTube commenters. And, uh, you know, in my mind, they sound like this. You're an idiot. I can't believe. Yeah. And, uh, that's the the way they sound in my mind. Uh, the internet I, trolls right there. I I'm sure, I'm sure they, you know, and I did the banging on the keyboard sign here. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that they actually were doing it on a phone. So, you know, I got to give them credit, but I think that, <laughs> I think that we need to kind of expound on that conversation because my take on the nuggets uh and the way they've approached this off season uh, I have a problem with it because I think they've approached it um a little too arrogantly, and that is mm. kind of the way that I've thought about this, and I really think they're we are they're in gain in danger of being too clever uh with themselves here because uh while they didn't have a lot of room uh, moves available to them uh that they could have made to replace Bruce Brown, and that's really the primary focus of this. I think. On one hand, for them to be very fond of their signing of Bruce Brown, uh, I can tell you that through the league, it was the nuggets were very proud of their signing of Bruce Brown, and on the other hand, to completely dismiss his departure and say it's not going to be a big deal right I cannot I cannot you know, I cannot uh, circle that square so um what I brought you on here for is to counterbalance my cynicism. So um, this is just my natural inclination, as you know, and we're going to start off with this. I'll ask you this Um, with their, the nuggets approach to this season. When you, when you look back and you you see what they have done. um, Do you think this is about sustainability or do you think this is the, a, a, an approach to maximize the title window of Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and whoever else is below them.
1: I would use the word reality
0: just in terms
1: of the financial issues that they've been facing, uh, that the entire league is facing. Frankly, you've seen a lot of teams, including teams like the Clippers and the Warriors and like all those teams that had these massive payrolls kind of uh, back away from that as much as they possibly could. Uh, given their financial resources because of this new CBA that was just signed. uh, That's hanging over a lot of this. And I I know for a fact that it's got a lot of people scared with the various ramifications that there are of going over certain thresholds of money. And when you start thinking about now, they would have been willing to go over that threshold to bring back Bruce Brown. I feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, Now, I think that they probably would have tried to go back under it because they know how important it is to maximize that competitive window in the way that they can. But uh, I do think that the decisions that they made and and the things that I look at are uh, the trades that they made to bring in draft picks, uh, to bring in young guys, players that they feel can be helpful right away. Hunter Tyson, Jalen Pickett, Julian Strother, guys like that. Uh, They've committed to Peyton Watson. That's somebody that they believe in. They committed to Christian Brown. Uh, these are five players that are drafted in between about 20 and 40 in the last two drafts, and I think at least one of those guys is probably going to be their sixth man in Christian Brown now. I think he's earned that right. And I think he's he's earned the right and will probably continue to be pretty good. Uh, but I do understand the skepticism. I do understand that way of thinking when it comes to, okay, do we really expect these guys to actually help a championship contender and to maximize that, like, how can you actually count on those players to provide what's necessary around what is a championship core? I think it's a very fair question, and I I don't want to com- like completely dismiss either side of it because I do have some skepticisms on that pathway, but I also understand that the other the other way of trying to l- replace Bruce Brown via free agency or trades that probably wasn't
0: really available to them either. Here's the way I put this to people. Uh, and I think I said this when I was on your podcast. Um, there is no cap in the NBA. That's that we need to establish this. There's no cap in the NBA. People, there are is not a salary cap. There's restrictions if you go over the second apron, but that is not a cap. There's just certain things you can are not won't have available to you. The interesting thing that I heard through the grapevine prior to um it was between Bruce Brown leaving and them eventually signing Reggie Jackson, is that the Nuggets wanted to keep that mid-level available to them, that taxpayer mid-level. And they gave it to Reggie Jackson. And that that is that is where I was like, I was rubbing my temples. I was like, I don't I don't understand. If you wanted to keep it available, why did you use it on Reggie Jackson? And right. I that that part along with that, but after I thought about it, long story short, I, I was like this is all about the draft picks and that is where to me the arrogance of the way they've operated this offseason comes in and i think it it it's it takes a lot of for me personally to leap to like the like the nuggets are their baseline is great they're at their baseline but to be a title contender you got to have a certain thing and it takes a lot for me to go from you lose the basically the guy that was a, the gluing your um roster together in many different ways just not replacing him and uh and then signing Reggie Jackson and saying no 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 look at all our draft picks I I just don't know if that is is going to help their chances of maximizing specifically for me what it is is Nikola Jokic that sure. is where it is because there's no to me there's no guarantee Nikola Jokic just goes beyond this contract. That is just the way I think. I'm not reporting anything. Don't aggregate me. I'm saying I I just in my opinion, it's I don't I can't project Nikola Jokic beyond this contract. So I I don't I I'm trying to process this. So in, when you look at this to ballast my balance excuse me my cynicism here Ryan is there is there a good way we can look at these draft picks and um and is there something i'm missing that they can provide that uh can make up for this this big gap of glue basically they're missing with uh, Bruce Brown
1: well one thing you've probably got to mention is that they're old as shit <laughs> like these draft picks are old yeah. they are I, it's it's one of the oldest rookie classes that I can ever remember Denver bringing in uh, just because they know how important it is for even if they are young guys, they know how important it is for them to be ready. And I think one of the interesting things that we saw from summer League, I know that you, you we, we talked to we talked to you about this you you didn't watch <laughs> like a summer league and nor, nor did you have to not a uh, little bit no. Hunter Hunter Tyson won first team all summer league basically as the 37th overall pick and that surprised a lot of people. It surprised me and Julian Strather turned in some really good game towards the end. Uh, Jalen Pickett was underrated, but effective throughout the entire thing. Uh, Peyton Watson showed exactly what he needed to show in two games. These guys are good. And the record from summer league isn't really going to show it, but I do think that they added some good talent. And that's the most important thing when you're talking about role players is Okay are these guys good enough to hang at the NBA level? If the answer is yes, then you just added four guys in Watson, Strother, Tyson, and Pickett that weren't on the team last year. Now, to what varying degrees that they actually play, are they going to play deep into a playoff rotation? Probably not. And in which case, your concerns about Reggie Jackson, I think are, vi- are they're completely valid. Um, I think what I think about with that particular move was that the point guard market was horrible in this year, but they needed somebody. The The Nuggets needed somebody that they could add. And the only other guy, or the two of them, only other two guys that I think you really could have tried to talk yourselves into were Seth Curry and Patrick Beverly. Now, Seth Curry isn't a traditional point guard. He's not a guy that can run a second unit. And that's a big issue. Now, he might have fit pretty well with Nikola Jokic, but in every single stop that he's had previously, he's always been played off the floor defensively as well. So he has his own deficiencies as well. Patrick Beverly could run some stuff, but he's more of a complimentary kind of option, not necessarily a floor general type who can actually run a unit by himself. And when you start to think about the actual options that they had at their disposal, how many of those options were actually better than Reggie Jackson, the version of Reggie Jackson that people thought they were going to get when he was off the buyout market this last year. I think that that version that's had at least a little bit of time to adjust to the Nuggets roster, to get better, to be familiar with, with his actual situation and not just be thrown into the mix with Thomas Bryant's is like, I can see the vision of that actually working out at least a degree better than what it did this last year. And the last thing I'll say is that while Bruce Brown did tie a lot of things together, he wasn't a part of a lot of great regular season units this last year because he didn't play with Nikola Jokic during the regular season Mm -hmm. other than when he started games. Now, if you're trusting the starters to be healthy, if you're trusting Christian Brown, who can step up and kind of be that complimentary option, how much should Bruce Brown actually do in the starting unit? Like Christian Brown can do what he did in the starting unit and be just fine. So I I think that the loss of Bruce Brown is going to be felt in the playoffs. Denver has a lot of time until they actually need to get to that point. And it's going to be interesting to see how they address it. But I, I don't think that they're done. I think that the trade deadline is also an option for them.
0: Yeah. I, I, I hate depending on the trade deadline. Oh, it's, sure. I, I, it's like, not everything is like the Lakers basically shifting half their roster out in order to uh, get Rui Hachimura and uh, Malik Beasley and uh, Jared Vanderbilt. Um, I. I I, I think that that part is it's 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 hard to count on the trade deadline because let's lest we not forget, um, Reggie Jackson was a trade deadline move. <laughs> oh, you it?
1: Now I I want to I want to counter with that though, saying like it's only one spot. Like, wait, wait, wait,
0: Denver's Denver's got the rest of their roster. Wait a minute, was Reggie Jackson a buyout? He was, was a he buyout. Buyout. Guy. That's he, right. Buyout. So yeah.
1: they traded for Thomas Bryant and signed Bryant. Reggie Jackson. That's, right. That's uh, right. Neither of those options really worked out. Um, but I think the theory of the practice was actually pretty good. Um, what the, like the biggest point is that Denver's got their team, like they've Mm -hmm. got their starters, they've got their sixth man that they believe in, in Christian Brown, and they've got some other options kind of sprinkled around their roster in Peyton Watson and Flacco Chanchar and Zeke Nagy. And like, you've got some different pieces that can fit in around what the actual group is. Uh, expecting any of those guys to pop and actually provide the impact that Bruce Brown had, I think that's folly. But expecting them to be better than they were last year, I don't think it's that
0: crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> when the Nuggets signed two second round draft picks to guaranteed contracts, I was like, okay, this is what this is about. And it's, I'm going to forget Reggie Jackson for a minute because I, to be honest with you, I don't anticipate him getting much playing time beyond the first couple of months of the season. This is all about their picks. This is really what the Nuggets have been projecting. Um, and you, if you want, you want them to, they would like them, them their picks to get into a point where they're either contributing in the lineup or they're tradable. Right. So, Obviously, you need them to play for that. Um, that's a, still a significant amount of youth for a championship sure. contending team, which is very unusual. That is where another reason I'm kind of like skeptical that this was the right thing. I mean, I I am I am one of those people. Maybe it's because I'm old school. I'm one of those. You got to maximize your title window. It it's not guaranteed. You know. I mean, obviously, there's restrictions with the second apron. I get that. But it is, it's also like I, I, I think they're taking a San Antonio Spurs approach, which is all well and good if you actually have Tim Duncan who's going to play 20 years on your roster. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's, that's, a, I don't necessarily apply that same kind of logic to Nikola Jokic. To me, this all smacks of we're kicking a can down the road, kind of like the, what the the Avalanche did. They lost a key guy who was very much like a Bruce Brown, and that didn't replace him. And they were obviously rocked by injuries this year, but they were also worse. So I'm I'm I'm, and I know nothing about hockey, so don't come at me. But, <laughs> uh, but that seemed like kind of that scenario. But so to, to I'm glad you're counterbalancing my cynicism here. Uh, I'm still cynical, but I'm glad that you're providing this. on. Here. Yeah. So I I think the
1: the larger point here is that there there is a I, I think it is well and good to say that they should have done something, because I, I think that every team should try to be able to keep their entire group together. Okay. Uh, and if they don't replace, if they don't have Bruce Brown, then they should replace him with somebody else that's comparable. The fact is, is that the restrictions that came out from the CBA this year, like last year, the taxpayer MLE was six point seven or six point four million dollars. This year, it's five. Like this year is actually less. And, and they could get right. a lesser player as a result from that. And the same opportunity that they had to underpay somebody for a year with the hopes that that player would then be able to go out on the market again and get a bigger contract, that wasn't available to them this time around. Like a lot of these players, they found other deals. They found other options. And when we talk about what they actually had available to them from a, a financial and kind of a logistical standpoint, It was only that $5 million deal. And then, and then minimums, like that's all they had because of the other guys that they have on their roster in Jokic and Murray and Michael Porter. And you're not going to want to hear this, but like one of the reasons why they can't sign other good players is because Michael Porter's on the roster (laughs) is because Mm -hmm. they have a big, massive contract like given to a player who is, I I called him last night on my podcast about him the 60th to 62nd best player in the NBA-ish or like around that general vicinity. And I don't know if that's what he's actually making. Like, I think he's making more than that per, per capita. But like, I do think that that is one of the financial inhibitors that they have because they paid a guy and they won a championship. So you don't blame anybody
0: for it, but that's just the reality of the situation. Well, this is the way I put this. If I get it and look, he I think with with Mike, it's about injuries <laughs> more than it is play. Um sure. So obviously you look at that and you say, well, look, there's an injury risk here, all that stuff. I get it. However, the Nuggets do not win game five of the finals. If Mike doesn't with his sheer activity, keep them in the game. That was oh, yeah. a. That is, I think people kind of just like, even though he had a bad finals, people kind of like, Neh. and I'm like, guys, the, he the Nuggets will not, it would have gone six games. That series would have gone six games if Mike, because the Nuggets were hitting nothing collectively oh, yeah. as a team. And it's like, if Mike doesn't do what he did in that third quarter, the Nuggets are not winning that game. That, game, that series goes back to Miami and then you start leaving things to chance. I get it though. And I get the financial commitment to someone who is oft injured, or at least has a lingering issue issue that is going to always be a lingering issue. It's not even, it's not even that though. It's, it's more of just like, Hey, this is, you've got three big salaries. It, It
1: doesn't matter what those guys actually are. It's just that, Hey, you have these three big numbers. And unlike some other teams where, okay, you can, you can pay $6 million for your fourth best player. You can pay $4 million for your fifth best player like they've also got 20 million tied to Aaron Gordon and 15 million tied to KCP. So mm-hmm. they're paying those guys equitably and they're paying Michael Porter, maybe slightly more than what he's worth. But like, I'm right. not, I'm not going to sit here and call it like, like I heard a couple of days ago, one of the worst contracts in the league, because it's not like, I, I don't think of it as that. Um, I think Definitely of not that. Yeah. Yeah. Jalen I, I Brown believe.
0: is the worst contract. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's, that's pretty
0: clear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah wild wild stuff um people act like I, people act like he signed an 80 million dollar contract no Jalen Brown signed a 60 million dollar a year contract Michael Porter is liking 30. i, <laughs> I think people need to he he is making like Michael Porter's
1: making less than 25 percent of the salary cap in every single season like less than twenty five. So like, uh, I'm not here to bemoan his contract. What I'm yeah. what I'm more saying is that the combination of paying Jokic a super max, paying Murray a max, paying Porter a max, paying all of these guys like if you're paying Aaron Gordon and you're paying KCP, like then you can't pay Bruce Brown. That's just the it's just the reality of the situation. They knew that, uh, they understood that. And then when you're trying to add in more talent, now you've got this taxpayer MLE that's at your disposal and nothing more. And so Denver is going to be hamstrung, I think, for a little bit now, but because of that, and that is why they're adding and developing young guys that are on cost control deals for the next four years. Like that's, that's the reason right there. So that if one of those guys develops into a Bruce Brown by himself, then you're, you've got that player under contract and then you can also play, uh, pay them a rookie extension. Like you, you have them under contract for seven years. You don't just under have them under contract for four. So that's why this is what they're doing. And I understand the theory of the practice. I think that you're talking about, like, I, I think you're a little bit more worried about this year, the next year. I think that's fair. I think that's why you have Murray and Porter. But if you believe that you're trying to maximize Jokic's supermax, which he's under contract for the next five years, mm-hmm. like,
0: you pay a guy that you could control for years three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. I, here's, here's, here's what I'll, I'll leave this with, and then we'll take a break. I, I am, uh, if the Nuggets were serious about pursuing people, they wouldn't have given Reggie Jackson five million dollars. They weren't, they didn't try. What kind of bugs me is there's no ring chasers for signing for league minimums that coming to Nuggets. I agree. It's really, really. It's it's either both concerning on uh, the Nuggets not even trying, or on the other side them not even attempting, and that is that is something that have I have been pondering since Eric Gordon signed with the uh, Phoenix Suns. I I
1: totally, totally understand that one. And and he's the guy that I think if you're, if you are looking at ring chasers, that's the one, that's the one where it makes sense. He fits into every single lineup, fits into every single like veteran option, kind of wing shooter status that you could possibly want. And, and I think that what he, like for, for, all other reasons as well, like he he actually has some connections to those guys in Phoenix. so maybe that's the reason why he went there. But what I will say is that a lot of people believe in the parody of the NBA. They don't necessarily think that Denver is this massive contender that is like this juggernaut that you want to latch on like the uh eighteen Golden State Warriors or uh, even hell the the sixteen Cleveland Cavaliers or something like that, like right? these those teams I think were viewed as greater and maybe it's because the Jokic still isn't viewed as like this like super Saiyan force that that will raise everybody else around which he is and but Mm -hmm. it's still taken a lot for that message to get out for whatever reason Uh, but I I don't understand it like you I don't really get it because every single player that's come to Denver outside of the ones that are clearly like disinterested in like integrating into what they are like every single player has left either getting paid or
0: having success All right 100 okay uh we're going to take a break on the other side uh um ryan and i are going to uh bash over some uh, league stuff uh so we will we'll be exploring what's been going on in the nba but first i want to talk to you about blanchard family wines located between 18th and 19th in blake and Wazi, beautiful lower downtown denver colorado just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block they're always online at bfwcolorado.com reds whites uh blends uh rosés anything you need uh in your favorite local wine bar uh they are um currently in summer mode and you can find if you're looking for something like me if you want something light um they've got some uh local colorado pinot there um it's just really a great place to go if you want to really kind of chill out specifically the dairy block location but they also got a location in uh, fort collins uh right now and they have one in sonoma county california once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coorsfield, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at BFWColorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast sent you. And we are back. Um, talking uh, with uh, Ryan Blackburn and I, t- I kind of wanted to hit on some league stuff. Um, <laughs> We kind of hit on the Jalen Brown contract in the last thing. I mean, I get it. I don't place if, value. If you're
1: if you're calling a hit like a, a literal hit, that's a <laughs>
0: literal hit. Like, literal Like, hit. Hey,
1: you you suck. Like that's <laughs> why? Why'd you get that contract? is basically I, what Jeff said.
0: I, well, look, I I prefer my three hundred million dollar players to dribble to their left. Mm. Or not constantly turn the ball over in critical situations. <laughs> you know, you know who also does Ben Shapiro for some reason. That
1: oh. Was so weird.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Did I did I just uh, do something akin to Ben Shapiro? Oh my god! No, well, I he so tweeted
1: sorry. he tweeted exactly that, which I really? was just. I was floored when I saw it. I'm like, okay, Ben Shapiro, the, the last person I thought that would have a based NBA tweet. Like, okay. It is what it is.
0: <laughs> so, but what I kind of wanted to talk about the uh, the Lillard and Harden situation, which I think are two different distinctly different situations. Sure. We'll cut, we'll hit on Lillard first. Um here's my opinion. You, you Lillard fucked up by not um by signing the extension that he did he if if he didn't he'd have what uh two years left or one year left and have like one year in a player option or something like that and then he'd have
1: all the reason in the
0: world to uh to be requesting a trade and he would have significantly more control now on the flip side of that i kind of and then this is what people talk to people in the league the the blazers really were telling him they were trying to compete and I do believe that them the, the final straw with Lillard was the Scoot Henderson draft pick. I think it was it was like, okay, you guys aren't first of all aren't serious, and 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 B, you drafted my replacement. And sure. I think at that point, I think he, that's where this is. I see both sides in this. Um, and I think at this point, since the market is so depressed, and I'll tell you why it's so depressed, because uh idiot teams are 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 afraid of the second apron and i and 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 i think more teams need to operate like the suns to be quite honest with you i really do because the why if you're if they're looking for parity why are you concerned about two years down the road You, you need to go for now and then you'll figure it out you don't get players like Lillard all the time and teams are just terrified Because they're behaving, even though it's not a cap, they're behaving like the second apron is a cap. And that has depressed the market more than Aaron Goodwin calling uh, various teams and telling them that Lillard will not be happy. It's a depressed market because not a lot of teams have a lot of cap space and they don't have a ton to trade. And I think this has just spooked the the hell out of them.
1: About four weeks ago when this was really starting to come to a head, uh, I said that everybody sucks in this situation. Every single, every single entity in this situation sucks. Right. You've got the Miami Heat, including the Miami Heat media mafia, uh, and they are trying to gaslight everybody into thinking that this is good for the league and that Lillard should be a member of the Heat and that he, like, he should also go there for a pittance because that's what superstars do now and that's like they're supposed to get their way. Come on, guys, just just mm-hmm. facilitate this. Let's go. Um, and then Portland who made their own bed on several occasions for several years in a row is now wondering, why are we in this situation? Why are we the enemy now? Like, of course you're the enemy now because you, you, you screwed everything up completely and utterly uh, during the Lillard era. The best possible team that they had was the 2019 team where their two starters on the wing were Mo Harkless and Alfred Aminu. Like, yeah, <laughs> what are we what are we actually doing here? Is is a very good question. Like C.J. McCollum is the best teammate that Damian Lillard has ever had, and
0: right.
1: they they made their own bed in in all of this, and deserve now the pain that's coming down. Now their fans don't necessarily deserve it, and that's a different yeah. question. And they're they're all they're all up in arms about this entire situation, but they're also acting all high and mighty about the situation, like oh we could never accept the the trade offers that are being offered when yeah they're probably a little bit worse but you also have zero zero leverage whatsoever or do you because you, now you have the lillard trade and you are now the lillard uh, contract excuse me which has 3 years and a player option i believe left and so he also looks bad in all of this because signing the extension mm-hmm. was a horrible no good very bad idea yep. and like i just i turned my nose up at all of it because he is going to end up with the Miami Heat. The Heat are going to give up more than they thought that they would have to. The Blazers are not going to get enough. And everybody's going to be pretty upset, at least for a little bit, until Lillard is hitting game winners for the, Blazer, or for the Heat and the Blazers get to tank like they should and build around Scoo Henderson. And mm-hmm. we can all move on with this situation.
0: It's gonna. It's going to be. They're not taking Lillard into the season. People got to stop with this. No, there's no yeah. way. There are no way. There's taking Lillard into the season. It, it's just. It would create a bad situation for their prized rookie, and they don't. You don't want that. Um. And this is just. This is not something you do. You got to get him done. So obviously, I think by training camp we will probably get some sort of resolution to this. I think. People just got to like um, steady themselves through NBA stupid season, as I call it. Um, well, and- the other, the other factor yeah. that
1: I think we could, we could actually talk about. Yeah. Could the Brooklyn Nets get in on this and could they up the ante and put a little bit more pressure on Miami? Like, wasn't he a, a guy that uh, like, what was were well, were the Nets, a team that Lillard was interested in playing for. Like he could, be one of the leaders of that team, play next to Mikhail Bridges, and uh, be on a, be in a good situation. As long as they were offering a requisite number of draft picks, like if they actually were, like if the Blazers were able to force a bidding war and then Miami actually gives up the package that they're not hoping to give up, then that would probably facilitate things. Because I remember back to the Mello deal, where the Nuggets basically used the Nets as leverage in order to get what they wanted from the Knicks. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, no, they did. Um, now, that that was a little different because Mello was allowed the Nuggets to do that. Um, he was always... Uh, here's a bit of history for people, if you don't mind. Mm. Um, I dropped something. Uh, Mellow <laughs> Mello, uh, was always going to the Knicks. This was never in doubt. This is people had brought up the nets and the nets were just were pawns in this game and they were used, but all it takes is one stupid owner and James Dolan is the stupidest of the owners. and it took him bidding against essentially himself. the, it, every, the Nets were thinking that they had the leverage in the situation, but they didn't. The difference is here, Mello allowed it to happen. I don't get the sense that uh, Damian Lillard is allowing this to happen, which is, or at least very, at, at the very least, Aaron Goodwin's not letting this happen. And one of the reasons um, it things got so bad, and quite frankly that Mello's reputation got so tattered in Denver, is because of the process of trying to get this trade done. And the pressures that came through Woj who was tweeting a bunch of stuff and, and writing in Yahoo at the time about a bunch of stuff about Mellow through the Nets media because that was the Woj's first team that he covered in the NBA. He had a ton of connections there and all this stuff was coming out and it, and it poisoned, completely poisoned Mellow in Denver. It was the process of this and I don't think any team wants to go through that. You know, the Ben Simmons thing last year, that was awful. But Ben Simmons uh, was damaged goods. And, and and Mello was still a good player. On the flip side, Damian Lillard has not allowed that to go. He has just said that I want you to send me to the Miami Heat. And I've made it known publicly that uh, that is the only place I will go. Well, publicly through acolytes like Chris Haynes and, and uh, right. stuff like that. So now that that's out there. You can't get bitters. And when you get bitters, often it culminates in the trade deadline. I don't think that's in anyone's best interest, to be quite honest with you. It's not in anyone's best interest for that. To, that it would get toxic and poisonous, and it would poison uh, uh, Damian Lillard's reputation with the fans in, in Portland to an enormous extent. And quite frankly, it would hurt like it did with the Nuggets it would hurt their, the Portland's reputation with players in the NBA. You don't want to get to that point. You're It's obviously going to get to, I'm sorry about the rant here, but it's obvious it's going to get to a good? point, a point to where um, this is going to be resolved in, in off season. On the flip side, James Harden, uh, I don't see any way that he is not on the Sixers this year.
1: Uh, yeah, that seems, that seems pretty fair based off of, everything that he's made his intentions clear, Daryl Morey going on public radio and saying, yeah, he'd prefer not to be here. Like that's, that seems a, mm-hmm. seems like a pretty strong indication that that's probably not going to be rectified anytime soon. And that's probably fine. Like I, I don't think anybody's really like with the way that things went down with Philly, I know that you probably have to cut the head off of that snake and then probably just remove Embiid. Like that's, that's probably the culture change in culture setting like resetting that they need but james harden's not affecting the culture positively there and he's no. like it, it was pretty funny to see Joel and bead get married and then james harden showing up in like as, with some party with some burgers uh on on instagram or whatever I, I don't even know what the what the actual context of the clip was but he clearly wasn't at the the wedding like you uh-huh. know celebrating yeah. His like the the MVP of the league and and the, his own personal teammate, one of his best friend, best friends in the league. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it does seem pretty interesting that
0: he wouldn't take time out of his busy partying schedule to go party <laughs> at a wedding. Well, let me let me ask you this, and this is something that I mean, I I'm not trolling. This is a legitimate question for oh. about about Embiid. <laughs> If he was the superstar that we have been led to believe, and he did win the MVP, and he's very good, he reminds me of Patrick Ewing. He's that's my comp for for Joel Embiid. He's, he he reminds me of Patrick Ewing. Um, if people were clamoring to play with him, um, why are people running away from him? And that is that is my that's my question about Joel Embiid. That has gone unsaid in this whole pro uh, process, quote unquote, is why are so many of these players not wanting to play with Joel Embiid? And that is that is legitimately, I think, I don't know why people aren't asking this question. More than, I mean, if 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 Harden was completely fine with, uh, obviously what happened this year, Maury did probably sit, tell him one thing at the last offseason and then do another. That's classic Maury. Oh, he should have known that. That's classic Maury. For sure. <laughs> he should have known that. Um, but On the flip side, you know, if things were hunky-dory with uh, old Joel, wouldn't he just tough it out, play on this year's contract, and uh, get paid next year, ball out and get paid next year? Um, That's that's a question that I'm wondering why no one's asking.
1: I think at this stage, when's the last time we actually saw a superstar or star that was that had such a high profile in the league was the last time that they actually like didn't play on multiple years of a contract like like with with just a an expiring contract like Mm because it it just doesn't happen that much anymore it's just not really the way that the business is conducted like all these guys are getting extended all these guys they're making sure that their long-term money is secure whether it's with one team or another and that's probably where James Harden was like, Hey, what the hell, man? I, I have given up all this money in order to get the long-term security that I've been hoping for. And you guys aren't willing to give me long-term security mm-hmm. and trade me. Like that's, that's, I think where this come, comes down to where Daryl Morey, as, as much as he loves James Harden and he, he values and adores that dude, uh." that's one thing that really stands out is that he, he, even he is like, no, we can't commit to you long-term. We know what happened with Allen Iverson in in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. or not just Philadelphia, but just like the career of Allen Iverson. We know what's going to happen to James Harden, like Mm -hmm. physically, that's just, that's just going to happen over the course of these next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be sudden and it's going to be stark and it's going to be painful for whichever team is holding uh, or is, is standing during musical chairs. Um, That's going to be pretty blatant. And I'm not surprised that that situation is dragging out because if you're the Clippers who are the team that he ruined, he reportedly wants to play for, like why would you trade anything of value? If you believe that the,
0: like the floor could be dragged out from under you at any point. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's like trading for, well, it is like trading for Kyrie Irving and, uh, Mm. but the Dallas Mavericks were like, Hey, you know, we we can't lose face here. Here's a bunch of money, uh. So, what a yeah that, that that's another team that I'm like, man, guys,
1: like you had you have such a good player, like such a good lead star in Luka Doncic. How can you screw this up so badly?
0: Like, well, now you've, how, how could how could the Mavericks have screwed up the 2012 season after they won the title in 2011? I mean, they they let Tyson Chandler go. They're they, really good at that. And that was like it was. They were outthinking themselves and kind of destroyed any opportunity they had to repeat. Um, and a lot of that's Cuban. So I mean, like, I mean, it, it, at least that's the common denominator in this situation. But oh, yeah. But coming back to to, to Harden, um, and Embiid, it's like my vision on this is that Joel Embiid is not going to be in Philadelphia for his career. I uh, he'll either go to the Knicks or uh, like the Knicks or the Knicks. And my, my, my view of this is, <laughs> is he will, it, it, I want to kind of, I don't want to do a post-mortem on the process because it's not over, but I I'm, I'm fascinated by everything culminating in Joel Embiid. And this whole process and all this and how maybe, at least in my view, the atmosphere of the process and how toxic it got, because you could not, you couldn't, the, 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 it was, it became almost cult-like how committed Sixers fans were to the process. And under Hinky and uh all that stuff. Maybe, and you are right, and this is what I'm thinking. Maybe they do need a complete culture wash. Maybe they just need to get out the last remnants of Sam Hinky and move on to to a better culture, you know?
1: That's probably what they should
0: do. The problem is that they don't
1: have the assets to really do that. And you know that this fan base is going to hate it like that, that Philly fan base where you're you're giving up on the process. You're giving up on like, – like Tyrese Maxey is probably going to be your lead star at that point, and hey, you're just going to lead a couple of 30-win teams until you hopefully get lucky in the lottery. And that, at that point, you are – it gets really, really dicey just in terms of, okay, can Daryl Morey actually keep his job during that? Like okay. he's probably doing a lot of these things to save his job. And that's that's one of the things. Like you – you look at Daryl Morey after like he, he had a great run in Houston for a while. And then things got really dicey after he traded Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. Right. And then he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. We're going to, we're going to leave. And then he signed on for Philly and he traded Ben Simmons for James Harden. And now you see the ramifications of each of those moves. And I just continue to think that like, unless they actually break through, this next year, which I don't really see them doing, depending on what they get in return for Harden. Um I see that as a like it, it is always going to persist. It just always is. And whether it's Embiid being tied in with the the hinky culture where you're tanking in order to actually win basketball games, or if it's mori and just the kind of invalid like impersonable nature that comes with Every single one of those teams, where it's somebody else's fault, mm-hmm. and it can't be the superstar's fault. So, all all those things, I think, kind of boil into it, and it's one of the reasons why they've struggled so much. You know, I was trying
0: to drag you into bashing Embiid with me, and I oh, take, I mean, he, I could, I, you wouldn't, he wouldn't the, take the bait. You wouldn't. Take he's the, bait. the sixth
1: best player in the NBA. Like, <laughs> good for him.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I'll tell. Before we go, I'm going to tell you a quick story. Mm. Uh, Allen Iverson you brought it you brought up something that's really interesting um, 2007 2008 was uh, Iverson's last year in Denver and um, by the end according I mean to some well-placed sources that I have there was a view that Iverson had lost several steps very quickly and it wasn't notice noticeable to us as fans but um, and, you know, he, to me, it looked like he was balling out at the end of the 2008 season, but the Nuggets get swept during this whole time. um, Detroit was really wanting Carmelo Anthony. They really wanted, and there had been rumors about Detroit wanting Carmelo uh, to be traded to back to kind of to make up for their mistake, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty clear
1: case. why they would
0: yeah. want to do that right Joe dumars <laughs> is like very much like he of the two phones is <laughs> uh, is, is, is is trying to uh make up for him his mistake and mark Workantine, this is why he deserved executive of the year that he got in 2009 waited him out waited 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 and then at the beginning the very beginning of 2000 the 2008 2009 season is when the island iverson was traded and um finally the pistons were like okay we'll take iverson because that's what the nuggets kind of kept pushing him towards and the thinking was he would they would get him as an expiring contract and uh, thinking that he was still good so um the Nuggets used the fact that they, they they really the Pistons really hadn't seen how bad Allen Iverson had gotten how like how quickly he was going downhill and right. as far as a, a skill I was like athleticism and skill so they traded him for Chauncey Billets and all this stuff so that only happened because Workantine waited the the Pistons out. Uh Al, Iverson really was diminishing quite rapidly. And the first two I don't know, people Nuggets fans, you gotta remember the first two, three games, I think, of the season is what he played with the Nuggets in 08, 09. And it was startling how much of a step uh Iverson had lost. Mm-hmm. And the Nuggets were really fortunate extremely fortunate and uh, thank god for RAP, uh mark Workantine, uh that man worked a miracle there because that was that was unbelievable like absolutely unbelievable
1: it's crazy how awesome isaiah thomas and joe dumars were as players and how painful they made it for other teams that played against them because they've made it a dream to trade with them like <laughs> any single time that any of those guys have been the GM or the lead decision maker <laughs> at any single point like it's been amazing <laughs> to trade with Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars shout out guys really really appreciate you yeah
0: shout out to Eddie Curry um so um <laughs> So uh, anyway, uh, Ryan, um, thank you for uh, joining me on here for this. I, I appreciate, it. and I wanted to make this one a little different than the other ones I've usually done. So, uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, plug absolutely everything you need to plug.
1: Okay, there's there's a lot of it. Here we go. Um, X is breaking. It's 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 now breaking on Twitter. So <laughs> so make sure to go follow me on Instagram and and uh, threads at NBA underscore Blackburn because that's I guess where we're going now. Um, and the YouTube channel, I think it, it's starting to really pop. So I've, i really appreciated everybody, uh, for the, the, the mile high sports YouTube channel is doing some great stuff. Even Cody work is now going over there and doing some football stuff. So there's a lot of great sports content that you can get from the, the MHS, sport, uh, YouTube channel. So make sure to go check that out.
0: And, uh, yeah, I, I forgot that Twitter's called X now. A, I, sh- I, what a shit that place has become.
1: Um, but also like, Hey, uh, I think we've got, we've got some interesting things cooking for Denver stiffs. Um, I don't, I don't know how much we can actually talk about that, but, uh, there's some stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. we're, we're old and I think other olds would, will, uh, they will probably appreciate
0: what's going on. No, no, no. One of us is old. You're, you're... (laughs) how are you doing fellow kids? (laughs) Hello youths. Um, to utes um so uh, anyway thank you all for joining me on the latest morecast uh, thanks to ryan uh for joining me on this we were supposed to do a home and home but i had to go to a uh, i had to go to a funeral uh and I really kind of messed up my last cool. week <laughs> yes so uh, anyway thank you all for joining me on list latest morecast i'm going to be back oh i have no idea uh, sometime with another episode goodbye